Hey, Hope family. We have been taking Mondays and Fridays to look at some of the highlights from the class that I've been doing on Thursdays that I've called Can't We All Just Get Along? Disagreeing Without Dividing. To quickly recap what we've talked about so far here on these Hope Dailies, we see in Scripture, and especially the New Testament, that unity is to be the hallmark of Christ followers, or a hallmark of Christ followers. This is difficult because we are also supposed to be a multi-ethnic and socially diverse group of people. We won't always agree. In Romans 14, Paul tells us that this isn't a bug in the software. It's actually a feature of the program. We are supposed to disagree. We're just supposed to do it well. And so Paul introduces us to this area called disputable matters. These are issues that we are to intentionally and thoughtfully form personal convictions around, but we are not to quarrel over them or to hold other people to our personal convictions. We are instead to be convinced in our own mind, as Paul says, because we will have to give account before the Lord. Once we have settled in our convictions, we are neither to judge nor offend those with differing convictions. As you have certainly experienced and at least could imagine, this is difficult work. This is difficult work for people of all faiths and people of no faith to disagree well with those who have differing convictions than we do. Our convictions are personal, and so there's a natural temptation to take disagreements personally. And for Christians, we suffer from what Pastor Rich Velodos has called enmeshment. Basically, all of our beliefs end up enmeshed with one another, and we can't differentiate between levels of conviction. Let's use the 2020 presidential election as an example to see how enmeshment works. So someone criticizes the candidate you are planning to vote for, and that feels like a criticism of your core values, which feels like a criticism of the way you read scripture, which feels like a criticism of the way you view God, which feels like a criticism of all that you are. You can see how disagreements can get heated. In their book, Winsome Conviction, Disagree Without Dividing the Church, authors Tim Mulehoff and Richard Langer address this phenomena by saying, No wonder it's difficult to deal with conflicting convictions. These observations about the way Christians form convictions are not an argument for changing the ingredients that go into our thinking. We must seek to please Jesus with our convictions since it is to him that we will give an account. See Romans 14.12. Furthermore, we can and should use the Bible as a source book a source book for our convictions. After all, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. See Psalm 119, 105. Surely it is meant to guide our beliefs, actions, and choices. And we really are waging a spiritual war and are called to, quote, take every thought captive to obey Christ. See 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Metaphors like crossing enemy lines are really not just figures of speech. There is no simple corrective to special problems of Christian conviction. We are called to be people of conviction. It seems to us that there is no other choice except half-hearted devotion and cheap grace, which is really no choice at all. You see, this is all very challenging. We are to have deeply formed convictions, but somehow hold them loosely? We're to hold our convictions strongly, but not hold other people to them? This is certainly difficult work. One thing they share in the book that was extremely helpful to me was the spectrum of conviction. 
Unfortunately, I think this is best taken in visually, and this is a podcast, which is audio only. So I have added a link to a picture of the Spectrum of Conviction in the show notes, but even if you don't have it in front of you, I'll talk us through it, and I think it will be helpful. So in the Spectrum of Conviction, there are four movements along this spectrum. We start on the left with confessional beliefs. These are the areas that all Christians would have stated agreement on. Maybe you've recited the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, or maybe you've just said Jesus is Lord. That is a confessional belief. It is absolute in nature. It is uh, theological. It's kind of abstract rather than concrete. And it asserts a timeless truth regardless of culture or society. So we start with those confessional beliefs, and then we move right to moral mandates. Moral mandates are the first step in taking an abstract belief and operationalizing it or putting it into action. Moral mandates cover both spiritual issues related to worship as well as ethical concerns over how we treat our fellow man. A good example would be Jesus's summary of the law. He says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. Clearly, this moves us closer to concrete action. But loving God and loving neighbors still would need more clarification. We can also see in Jesus' summary of the law that he starts with a confessional belief and moves to a moral mandate. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. That This comes from Deuteronomy 6 and the prayer known as the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. This is a confessional belief that Jesus moves into a moral mandate of loving God and loving neighbor. So, from moral mandates, we then move to core values. Moral and spiritual mandates almost always require further explanation. See again, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a moral mandate, but it remains vague. Who is my neighbor? And what does it mean to love them? Even at this point along the spectrum, we are unlikely to find many disagreements. Take, for instance, the three stated core values of our church. We value living by faith in God. We value the priority of people in our church. And we value our reflection of Jesus. We could send these three statements to a thousand different churches, and I don't think we'd receive very much, if any, pushback. The pushback comes in how we prioritize our values. Most humans, let alone Christians, share the same basic values. The reason we all look and act so different is not because of our values, but how we prioritize our values. Prioritization of these values is where there begins to be some friction among Christians. Differences in confessional beliefs and moral mandates can be swallowed a bit easier because they are things that we merely assent to. We believe them, we say them, but our core values are personal. They are where we begin to feel our convictions. It also gets hairier because this is where the wounds come from teammates, not from outsiders. If we disagree on confessional beliefs, then I'm a professing Christian and you aren't. We can coexist, we can partner together, we can be friends, etc. And we know that these differences exist between us. But if we agree on confessional beliefs and moral mandates, but our values are different, I begin to feel hoodwinked or stabbed in the back when you act differently than I expect. How we prioritize our core values will inevitably be deeply personal 
and they will inform the last movement on the spectrum, our guidelines for conduct. Here is where our moral mandates and core values find expression in actual policy decisions, responses to ethical dilemmas, and plans for action within a specific context. They answer the question, how can I best honor Christ in the time and place and circumstance where he has placed me? Deep breath. Now, that was a lot. I understand. Let me see if I can give a quick recap that hopefully will be helpful. We move from theological, abstract, toward the practical and concrete. We move from absolute to personal. We move from timeless truths to contemporary expressions. Those four movements happen from confessional beliefs to moral mandates to core values to guidelines for conduct. While walking through them a minute ago, I gave plenty of examples, but let me walk through the four movements one more time with a singular example and see if I can help you see how we can have similar starting points as Christians and wildly different ending points. Here is a confessional belief that all Christians would hold to. God created humans in his image. It's from Genesis 1:26. So that is our confessional belief. Then we move to a moral mandate based on that confessional belief. God created humans in his image. Therefore, we are not to kill another human being. This comes from Genesis 9, 5, and 6. So we moved from a confessional belief that humans are created in God's image to a moral mandate that we are not to murder other humans. Then we move to core values. Therefore, we value all human life. So how does that confessional belief, God created humans in his image, that moral mandate, therefore we do not kill humans, that core value, therefore we value each and every human life, play out in guidelines of conduct? Well, we oppose abortion. We oppose euthanasia. We oppose the death penalty and war and any type of violence. We support religious liberty for all people to worship as they feel called. We support equal access to food and shelter among all people. We support universal health care for all people. We support a universal basic income for all people. Somewhere in that last section, I lost you. You were nodding along. I get it. Yeah, we all, humans are created in God's image, so we, we don't want to kill and we value all human life. And yeah, abortion is bad. And, and yeah, war, I guess. Well, okay, I, I see it a little bit. Death penalty, I'm not so sure. Uh, liberty for all. Okay, all right, I get it. Uh, equal access to food and shelter. Okay, universal health care. Where did you get that from? Universal basic income. The, you were with me with the same confessional belief, the same moral mandate, the same core value, but then as those core values find expression in actual policy, actual decisions, we are going to disagree about how that should look. You can see how two Christians can both take their faith and their Bible seriously and both walk side by side, step by step for quite some time, but at some point, the expression of their beliefs, moral mandates, and core values will look different. They will both seek the same ends, valuing human life because it is the image of God, but through very different means. So, again, I know that was a lot. I have, again, placed a picture of the 
spectrum of conviction in the show notes. Take a look at that and start to think through some of the things that you hold most strongly. Maybe think through some of the arguments that you've had over the past year and work through the spectrum of conviction. Where were your disagreements? Were they over core values? Were they over moral mandates? Or were they over guidelines of policy? Can you start to see how someone would end up somewhere different than you, even if they have the same core values as you? Think through the implications of that. What does that mean? How do we then be a unified body if we all have different ideas of what our guidelines for conduct should be? How should we treat and act towards one another when we have these differences? How can we disagree without dividing? 